All right, I know a lot of you guys are going to know the answer to this, but artist that did that song? Avril Lavigne, and now this is going to make some of you feel really old. That came out in 2002. Like, that's my oldest son was born in 2002. That's when that song came out. And it's about what life is like when you don't know who you are or why you are here. You're just a persona. You're dressing up, trying to be what other people want you to be, um, trying to be something you're not in order to kind of fit in and find your way. And when you do that, life becomes really complicated. Life becomes really difficult. Because you don't know who you are. And so when you don't know your purpose and you don't know why you're here, you're grasping at making sense of the life that you have. And it can be really difficult to figure this thing out, which gets us to this series that we're called On Purpose. From God's perspective, why are you here? And I will just tell you, when you know why God created you, life can begin to make sense. Now, here's what's interesting about this series. I've been talking to a lot of you and kind of been hearing um, some of the chatter about it, and it's really, really good stuff. A lot of you are digging into the, 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 the content of this series, um, and what I'm hearing, and this is great, is that some of you are kind of hoping at the beginning of the series to end the series, walk out of the series with this succinct purpose statement that is all like wrapped up and nice with a bow on it so that you know why you're here and you can go out and live your life on that purpose. And as you found in the first two weeks of this series, the the first three weeks of this series with the first two purposes that God has for your life is that that's not what we've given you so far, is it? Like you don't have this nice little tidy, um, the perfectly tailored purpose statement for you to live by. And and so I want to speak into that because our purposes so far, the first two, including this one, the third one, have been more about God and your relationship to him more than they've been about you and your purposes, which I want to say that's by design. And I just think this, if you are willing to work on fulfilling the first three purposes that we give you that are about your relationship with God, I believe that you will begin to hear his voice clearer than you ever have before. If you will work on your relationship with God and the purposes centered around that, you will begin to hear him in a brand new way. And I will just tell you, as you begin to hear God's voice clearer, he's able to speak more into why he made you and your specific purpose. Because I will just tell you, I, am, uh, I, I have no idea why God put you on this planet, right? It's like I know some of the bigger pieces, but I don't know the specific purposes. Only he does because he put you together. Now, I will tell you this over the next two weeks. Don't miss the next two weeks because we're going to start talking about your specific gifts, abilities, and mission that God has you for here for. So we're going to start kind of narrowing the funnel over the next two weeks. And you're going to start getting some of that more personal, more specific to you stuff out of this series. But we've got to do all of the bigger relationship with God purposes and get those wrapped up and build a foundation before we start building on top of it why you specifically are here. Now, don't let me over oversell, you know, like overpromise and underdeliver. I don't know if you're going to walk out with a one sentence purpose statement that's going to be everything that you dreamed it could be and go, oh. But I do know that if you start employing and applying what we're talking about, you're going to be listening differently. Your relationship with God is going to be different, and you're going to understand the way He wired you and built you to do something very specific and unique to you. Okay, so there you go. Um, that's that's why I want to address that. Um, if you have missed any parts of this series, they are online on our website, Kensington. 
www.ethanorlando.org. You can go listen to the last three weeks and catch up if you missed any. The series is based on this book. It's a book written by Rick Warren, 60 plus million copies sold around the world, probably more by now. Um, but, but it's a book that he wrote basically saying, hey, here's five purposes that are found in scripture um, that God has for your life. It's split up into 40 days. If you will take 10 to 15 minutes a day and you will read through this book over 40 days at the end of it, you will, have, uh, you will take a huge step in your life to understanding why you are here. So we're just touching the surface on Sunday mornings because it's like seven days of reading that go with each purpose. And so I want to say, I don't know how many books we have left. I don't know if Bill's in the back there somewhere. We had five after the first service. We might not have any, but I have one here if you want it. They're for sale out in the lobby. They're 15 bucks. Um, I would love for you to walk out with one if you want to dive in. Um, But uh, in this series so far, we've looked at the first two purposes that God lays out in scripture that he has for your life. The very first one is to know and love God, which is called worship. He created you for you to him to love you and for you to learn to love him back. When you love him back and show your appreciation for him, that is called worship. He created you to be connected to him in relationship. The second purpose he has for your life is uh, the first one's about your relationship with God. The second purpose is about your relationship with other people. He created you to be a part of his family, which we called fellowship last week, to be connected to his church and to be connected to each other in life groups, doing life with other people who are on the same journey. All right, so that catches you up. Today is a new purpose. It's a building block, foundation of why God created you. Before I give it to you, let me pray for us so we can jump in. God, thank you for today. And I thank you that you have so clearly in your words spoken into our lives and why we are here. And so God, I just pray that you would help us to hear your voice clearly um, today. God, I pray that, pray that you would just speak to all of us. I pray you would fill this room with your presence. Help us to drop any distractions that we walked in here with. Lord, help us to just put them down and allow you to speak directly to our soul. Um, And God, we invite you to do that right now. In your holy name, amen. All right, God's third purpose for your life, you were created to become like Christ. You were created to become like Christ. God does not want you to just know who Jesus is. He wants you to become like Jesus. Romans 8, 29, for from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would. Just a reminder, God exists outside of time. This is so hard for us to understand. Time is a created thing. You and I are bound to it. We can't hardly think of anything outside of time. God created time, which means he exists outside of it. So this is very, very true from the very beginning. God God decided that those who came to him all along, he knew who would. He can see our life from beginning to end like a parade from above. He can just see the whole thing. Um, He believes that all um, who come to him should become like his son. So what should you do? Become like his son so that his son would be the first with many brothers and my addition and sisters so everybody feels included. In all of creation, only human beings were made in God's image. We're set apart from all of creation. As special, as privileged, as dignified. We're different from all other living creatures. We are spiritual. We are intellectual. We are relational. We have a moral fiber and and fabric and conscience to us. Um, And God wants you to become, over the course of your life, more and more like his son, Jesus. Now, God is not saying that you are going to become a God. You are not God. You are not even a mini-God. As much as you think you might be, or you might act like one, you'll never be a God. Okay, let me just get that out of the way. This is not for you to become a God, but what God does want for you is God wants you to become godly. God wants you to become godly. 
to see things like his son Jesus, to learn and to think and to act and to speak and to love and serve and share just like Jesus did. He wants you to be like Jesus in every area of your life. Ephesians 4.15, God wants us to grow up. Okay, now maybe you said that to your husband um, in the last week, okay? Just grow up. I understand. My wife tells me that a couple times a week. I'm just kidding. Most of the time she probably thinks it. She just doesn't get it to her mouth. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in, what's that word? Everything. God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort. It's character development. God's third purpose for you is to develop the character of Christ in your life. It's to develop what's called the fruits of the Spirit. And I'll just tell you, if you invite Jesus into your life, because some of you are here and you're like, man, I haven't crossed that line of faith. I don't even know what that means, but I know I need something in the soul part and the spiritual category of my life. Um, If you invite Jesus into your life, Scripture is very clear that the Holy Spirit of God enters into you to dwell and to make a home inside of you. Called the, called the Holy Spirit, comes to dwell inside of you, the Spirit of God, to give you a power and an ability to do things that you're not able to do on your own, but that you can do with his help. And, uh, and, and as you grow spiritually, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in you. Galatians 5.22. But the Holy Spirit, and you're going to read, I want you to uh, j- just, just picture this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. And let me just tell you, if you plant a relationship with Jesus Christ in your heart, what will grow out of that relationship are these things. And so just to show you and just to get you to visualize how important these things are, I want you to um, uh, close your eyes with me. Just go ahead and close your eyes. Um, I will not pick on you during this, by the way. Won't spit on you, won't run around the room and hit you, nothing. Um, Just close your eyes and go with me. Um, And I want you to think of your life right now. And I want you to think of your life right now with more love in it. I want you to think of your life right now with more joy in it, no matter what the circumstances. I want you to think of your life right now with more peace in it, no matter how chaotic things are. I want you to think of your life with more patience in it for other people around you and them with more patience for you. I want you to think of your life with more kindness in it, just more kindness coming out of you and more kindness coming out of other people. I want you to think of your life with more goodness in it, with more faithfulness in it. Think of your life with more gentleness instead of harshness in it. And think of your life with you having more self-control. Everything about your life here on earth would be better if you were more like Jesus. Everything. You guys go down, open up your eyes. And I just want to say it looking at you. Every single thing in your life would be better if you became more like Jesus. Right? Wouldn't it? If your life had more of every single one of those things, that is what God says will happen if you invite the Holy Spirit into your life. He wants to grow all of that in you. And this is all about discipleship, spiritual growth, and maturity. Because spiritual growth is a lifelong process. You are going to, once you begin the spiritual journey, it takes the rest of your life as you grow up. It takes all of your life. So the question is, well, how does God grow us up? 
to be like Christ. How does he do that? What is the process? And I'll just tell you, he uses his word, people, and circumstances. He uses the Bible. Um, You can't learn to think, love, serve, forgive, care, or treat other people like Jesus did unless you know how he treated and loved and cared and, and served all of those people. So you need to read scripture. It gives you four, um, four stories of the life of Jesus in the New Testament back to back. So God uses the Bible to develop the character of Christ in us. He also uses other people to develop us. Other people tell us that we need to grow up, that kind of stuff. It's called fellowship. He uses other people to help us grow. And then today, what I want to give you is I want to give you three tools that God um, uses in our lives. I don't want to talk about the Bible or about other people um, and using being, that being used to develop your character. I want to talk about um, three tools that God uses to grow you spiritually and at face value, they sound bad and you're going to think they're bad. But when God is at the helm of your life, they're actually good and they can be used. Um, They're they're necessary tools that God can use to actually grow you, to actually change you, to actually make you become more like Jesus. And so here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about troubles designed by God, temptations designed by Satan, and trespasses designed by other people. And let me just encourage you to take notes. You've got a note card in your program with blanks on it. Fill those out. Write down whatever comes to your mind because God might just talk to you while I'm talking, something completely different. Write it down. If you need a program and a pen, raise your hand and one of our ushers should be able to come and grab, give you one. Um, but I want to encourage note taking. Um, but let me give you a foundational verse for today, Romans 8, 28. And I want you to read it with me. And I want you to read the parts that are highlighted in blue. I want you to read them out loud with me when I get to those parts. And we know that in all things, God works for the? Of those who love him, who have been called according to his? In all things, God can work for the good of those who love him, those who are called according to his purpose. And this is just God saying this, look, I will use everything in your life. I will use everything that happens in your life for my purposes. Does God cause all things to happen in your life? Um, All the bad stuff to happen in your life? No. All the good? Yes. He says anything good in your life, I've given to you. But the bad, does he cause it? No. A lot of things happen bad in my life because of me, because I'm stupid. And a lot of bad things happen in my life because of stupid people that aren't me, that are other people doing stupid things. Um, So does God cause all the bad things to happen in your life? No. But God can work in all things to develop character. Can he use painful things? Yes. Bad things, evil things, stupid things. When other people hurt me, can he use that? Yes. Um, When my own sin hurts me? Yes. It doesn't matter what or where it comes from um, or who is the source. God works in all things for our good because he loves us. So the first not so obvious thing that God uses to grow us spiritually is God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. God uses trouble to teach us to trust him. Jesus said it himself. Everyone in this life is going to have trouble, trials, and difficulties And if you're checking out the God thing, I'm sorry, Jesus never said, when you follow me, I'll take care of all your issues and you'll never have another problem. No, he just says, hey, when you, if you're, if you're alive, you're going to have troubles, trials, and difficulties. But God does say, hey, when those come, I can use those to draw you closer to me and teach you to trust me. Listen to what the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, amazing theologian, um, church planter, um, he says to us in Romans 5. He says, well, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Like, don't you want to read that with a smile on your face? We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, to which I say, no one rejoices when their life falls apart. Get off the crack, Paul. Like, you don't need to take that anymore. It's making you crazy. Nobody does that. Nobody rejoices for that. But he actually has a point. He's like, look, there's a, there's a process to spiritual growth. 
He says, rejoice when you run into trials and problems, for we know that they help us develop endurance, which is perseverance. And that perseverance, endurance, develops a strength of character. And that character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. There's a process that we go through through troubles. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so what is Paul reminding us of? All kinds of troubles are going to come into your life, even if you're a Christian. And you're going to wonder in those moments if God loves you. Verse 5 tells us, yeah, he dearly loves you. That's what he does. He dearly loves you. And you're going to wonder, why me? Why is this happening to me? Who's picking on me as if your life is supposed to be a life of ease and comfort? And I'll just tell you, and this is the sad truth that we find in Scripture, unfortunately, your life is not all about ease and comfort because this is not heaven. This is a very different place. This is earth. The goal of this life, the goal of your life, you can make this your goal, but this is not God's goal. The goal of your life is not comfort, it's character. That's God's goal for your life. We're developing character in preparation for the next life. And character and trust in God is developed more through hardship than it is through ease and comfort, which means this next statement is something we all have to embrace, and that is this. Every problem has a purpose. Every problem has a purpose. It doesn't matter who caused it. Whether it was you, Satan, evil people, stupid people, mean people, we live in a broken world with broken people, and every problem we run into has a purpose, God will use it if you will let him to make you more and more like Jesus. And I'll just tell you, I'm a living example of this. Um, At 24 years old, um, seven months married to Melissa, super hot wife, Melissa, by the way, got to put that out there. Um, I'm I'm a two-sport college athlete right out of college. I'm I'm serving God. I'm a youth pastor. Um, I'm doing what God had asked me to do with my life. And um, and December 15th, 1997, I go out to help a lady change her tire at 1030 at night. And um, while I'm standing at the back of her minivan, a car um, hits the back of the minivan going 50 miles an hour, never hits her brakes, um, and just slams into the back of the minivan, crushing me between the two bumpers. Um, And just for, for me, the lights go out. Um, they, they, they take me to the hospital. They operate on my legs for 20 hours. They lose me twice on the operating table. I had no near-death experience, no bright light at the end of the tunnel. I have a bone to pick with God when I get to heaven. I'm like, come on, man, you could have given me something, dude. Like, they lost me twice. He gave me nothing. I don't know why. We'll take it up when I get there. Um, but they, they call my wife 12 hours into the surgery, and they say, hey, you need, to, you need to tell us if we can amputate his leg or not um, because it's your call. And so she makes the decision to go ahead and amputate because they weren't sure they could get me back a third time. They put me in a coma for 10 days. And so I wake up Christmas Day, 1997, to find out my left leg is gone below the knee um, and my right leg was severely damaged. And my whole life was going to be different from here on out. I I lost the whole life I thought I was going to have, lost in that accident. Um, And I will just say this, worst Christmas ever, okay? Like, I don't care what Paul says. That is not a, yay, let's frolic in the fields. Oh, I can't. I have one leg, right? Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, come on, Paul. Like, what are you talking about in Scripture? And I was mad at God. Like, I, it, it's kind of like Melissa and I, we cried for months over the loss. And, and it's like I have pain in my leg every day. I still will. I will through the end of my life on this earth. I was mad at God for a short while, but what's really interesting is he very specifically told me early on that it was going to be okay and that he was going to be with me and walk with me through the whole process. So I chose to lean into him when things kind of hit their rock bottom a couple weeks after tragedy. 
And it's, a, it's another story for another day, okay? Like that's not the point of why I'm telling you. There, there's so much to tell and, and we'll do that someday because there's so many cool God moments in this. But here's the point uh, in telling you the, the little brief synopsis for those of you that don't know, is I look back on the last 23 years of my life since then and I look at who Melissa and I have become because of this trial. And it's just one of many we've had, by the way. It's just one of the biggest ones we've ever walked through. Um, I look at, the compassion and the empathy that God has given me at times. I don't always like access that, but he gave it to me. Um, I look at the wisdom and the humility and the, the faith, the contentedness that I've found living with pain, the, the trust that has developed with God, the closeness that Melissa and I share having walked through the valley of the shadow of death um, together. Like the way that this tragedy has shaped us and God has used it to turn what Satan meant for evil into something good. And I will just tell you, if you could tell me, if you could give me a magic wand and say, Kevin, you can wave this and you can get your leg back. And, 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 and you say, but you can do that, but you'd have to give up all that God has done in you through this, all the character development, the work that he could only do through something like this. If I had to give that up, I'd say, I'm good. I'm not willing to give that up. I'm not willing to give up what God can only do through that to make me more and more like Jesus because that's the deal. What he's done is too good. What he's done in my character is too great. I can honestly say I'm more like Jesus now because of the work God did through that than I could ever be without it. We go, what? Well, yeah, well, why would God still let that happen? Why would that, like, like you were doing good, you were a youth pastor. Why would God let that happen? Well, here's what you got to remember. God is looking at my life long-term into eternity. He's not looking at this. He's looking at this. And so let me just say, look, I will get my leg back, okay? That's my first stop in heaven. I'm going to the leg shop. It's probably on layaway, okay? Getting that thing back. And then I got this whole new body thing. Here is Temporary. This, is, this, this thing that I walk on every single day is a great reminder that here is temporary, and I'm so thankful to God that it is. Because it's a daily reminder that, oh yeah, there's this other thing going on. It's going to make heaven that much sweeter. And it's not just me and you that go through trials, and this is what I love about Scripture. Jesus went through trials and troubles. His greatest trouble was the night before he was crucified. Look, he knew he was going to get arrested. He knew he was going to get beaten. He knew he was going to, he was going to be, be, be put on the cross. He knew he was going to die on that cross. But that's not what was most troubling to him. What was most troubling to Jesus was he was going to take the sins of the world onto his shoulders. And he was going to feel every sadness Every worry, every fear, every rage, every lie, every gossip, every slander, every murder, every envy, every guilt, all the sin of the world, past, present, and future was going to be placed on him. And then God, his father, who he had never been apart from, was going to have to turn his back on Jesus because he can't look at that stuff, can't be in the presence of that stuff. That's what was most troubling to Jesus. He had to take all our junk onto himself. So, he takes his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane and he asks them to pray with him. Because even Jesus needed friends with him 
when he was going through troubles and trials. That's why you need a life group to be in fellowship with. So when the bottom falls out of your life, you have people to pray for you and be with you. But Jesus takes his, his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane as the weight of all this, as he realized what's coming. And he told, he told them, he said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And he went a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful hour awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out, everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And I don't know if that stuck out to you, but when Jesus said, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death, if you ever think that Jesus doesn't understand what you're going through, if you ever think that he can't grasp the depth of sorrow that you deal with, some of you on a daily basis, you need to hear this because he's been crushed to the point of death with grief on a soul level. And I'll just say this. If you're going to become like Jesus, God is going to take you through Gethsemane. If you're going to become like him, he's going to take you through Gethsemane. And that's what Jesus is teaching us. He's saying, trust God in the Gethsemanes of life. And it's okay to tell God, I don't like this. It's okay to tell him, if there's any way, can you take this from me? And it's okay to say all that as long as at the end you're going, but God, just your will. I know you've got a long game you're playing, not a short game. And then in eternity, God says, I'll reward you for those troubles. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. When you see big picture, your present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. In other words, what God is working in you through your short momentary trouble, that work, that character development, that change will last on into eternity. All through the Bible, God reminds us to think eternally. And that's what he's saying. I'm playing a long game with you, not the short game. And it's going to hurt a little bit, and I know it, but I can use that if you'll let me. And the payoff will be forever. So God uses trouble to teach us to trust him, and I'm going to kind of fly through these next two. Um, God uses temptation to teach us to obey him. God uses temptation to teach us to obey him. God doesn't cause temptation. Um, the Bible tells us that God never tempts us to do evil. He cannot tempt us to do wrong, but God can use temptations to make us more like Jesus if we cooperate with him because every temptation is a choice, right? You can either obey or not obey. Um, you can follow God's ways or you can follow your own. And every step we take to obey God is a step in spiritual growth and maturity. Every time you're faced with temptation, and you choose to follow God in that temptation, it's like a, a brick formed in your, in your character development of your life. Because here, let me, let me flip this uh, perspective on temptation that you might have. Um, temptation's a choice, and a lot of times we say, well, it's a choice, and it's, it's all bad. Like, temptation is bad, temptation is evil. It's a choice to do wrong. Well, let me just flip it and go, you know what? Temptation isn't necessarily a choice to do wrong, because at the same time, it is also a choice to do right, isn't it? Temptation is a choice for you to choose right, to choose character, to choose God's ways over your own. So temptation, we look at it, oh, that's evil and that's bad. No, it's an opportunity for God to teach us how to obey him. 
If Jesus faced temptations, which he did in Matthew 4, you can read all about it. You will too, but there's a promise in God's word that I want to read to you, and then we're going to move on. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what other people have experienced. Power, lust, greed, selfishness, pride, revenge, hatred, envy. It's all in there. Everybody experiences temptation, but God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Love that. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Meaning this, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, God will never put more on you than he's put in you. God will never put more on you in regards to temptation than he's already put the strength in you to choose the right thing. I love this passage. This is a promise from God saying, look, when you're tempted, I'll show you the way out. You just need to choose it because he wants to grow in you. You have the strength to endure temptation if you're a follower of Jesus. All right, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys want to go ahead and come forward. Um, This is for those of you that call Kensington home. This is when we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. Thank you for those of you that do that in service and online. Um, And I'll tell you, those of you that are visiting, same thing I told the last service. First service that you come to us is free. Second service, 20 bucks, okay? That's how it works around here. I'm just kidding. It's a joke. I just want you to laugh because this is sometimes a weird part of the service for people. We're not interested in your money. We're grateful that you're here. If you want to give, feel free. But man, please don't feel compelled like anybody's going to look at you cross-eyed if you don't. We are, this service is actually our gift to you. So the third thing God uses to make us like Christ is God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. God uses trespasses to teach us to forgive. Trials are used by God to draw us closer to him. Uh, Temptations are designed by Satan to draw us away from God. Trespasses are designed by other people to hurt us. And I'll just tell you, we live in a broken world, and in this broken world, there are broken people, and broken people hurt people. And you will be hurt by people intentionally and unintentionally in your life. And this is uh, you know, often the hardest lesson to learn. Um, it's one thing to handle trouble, like we can handle trouble because everybody has it. It's another thing to handle temptation, um, but, but, but being hurt by other people without retaliating. That is really difficult, yet it's one of the most important and, and, and difficult lessons in becoming like Jesus Christ. Because it involves being misunderstood, it involves being criticized and judged and being hurt physically and emotionally and verbally and being abused. And I'll just tell you, these things are not um, good, they're evil. God's not the author of evil. God hates evil. He doesn't cause these things. He hates it when he sees our sin hurt other people. Yet, God didn't protect his own son from abuse and from ridicule from other people. Jesus was misunderstood. He was hurt. He was um, judged. He was abused physically. Um, And he not only carried our sins to the cross, but on the cross, he was ridiculed and, uh, and, and abused from the people that put him there. Matthew 27, 39, the people passing by shouted abuse. Shaking their heads in mockery. They mocked him on the cross. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in, in three days. Well, then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down off the cross. The priests and religious leaders mocked him while he's dying on the cross. If not, if, if, if like putting him up on the cross, like nailing him to the cross isn't enough, they've got to then add, add, add insult to injury. They've got to, they've got to insult him and abuse him. And here is what his response is. And this is spiritual growth. This is spiritual maturity. Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus replied from the cross, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
And then in the next sentence, it's like you realize the, the dichotomy of what's going on with Jesus, with this moment with God, forgiving everybody. And it says, and the soldiers, they gambled for his clothes. And Jesus, in that moment, he gave up his right to get even. Now, if I would have been Jesus, I would have lightning bolted them and then gone, <laughs> and then died. You know, that's what I would have done. Like, God, I'm not Jesus. I did not show anybody the way. I would not show anybody the way. But thank God that Jesus was who he was. Thank God that he was able to, from the cross, just say, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The question is, how do you do that? How do I do that? How do you and I learn to forgive? And here's the twist that none of us want to hear, but is the reality of the situation. You cannot learn to forgive unless somebody hurts you. You'll never learn to forgive unless somebody hurts you. God doesn't cause the hurt, but he can use it to teach you what? To learn, to forgive like he forgave. It's one of the toughest lessons you're ever going to learn is forgiving the people that hurt us. But that's what God wants us to learn, how to forgive like he forgave. Now, side note, I just, I got to say this because I don't want you to hear me wrong. If you are in an abusive relationship or you are being abused, I just need to tell you right now, um, I'm not saying stay in that relationship and just forgive and just hope for the best. No, get out of that relationship and get safe and then work on forgiveness. Now, when it comes to forgiving others trespasses against you, you have to remember a couple things. Um, you got to remember that God has forgiven you already, and he will never ask you to forgive someone for more than he's already forgiven you of. He'll never ask you to forgive somebody more for more than he's already forgiven you for. And the second thing you need to know is you need to remember that God is in control. When someone hurts you, they mean it for bad. That does not mean that God can't take that and use it for good someday in some way in your life. So fundamental foundation for living a purpose-driven life, God will use trouble to teach us to trust him. He will use um, temptation to teach us to obey him. And he will use trespasses to teach us to forgive others, all in an effort to make us more like Christ. So what's the application to this? The very first application point I have to this message is this. The first thing you need to do if you never have in your life and you want to begin to grow spiritually, you want to begin to live on purpose, is commit your life to Jesus. Commit your life to Jesus. God's purposes are actually activated in your life when you invite Jesus into it. And so if you've never committed your life to Jesus, today God is tapping you on the shoulder. He's kind of nudging you. And you realize today's your day to step across the line of faith. I want to stop this message right now and I want to pray with you and give you the opportunity to accept Christ. So would everybody in the room, would you close your eyes and bow your head with me? Um, and if this is you, today is your day. Um, and you're just like, I'm ready to give my life to Christ for the first time. I want to ask you to pray with me from your heart to God. You don't have to say it out loud, but you can just say something like this. Just say, dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. And I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. Today, I surrender my life to you. In your holy name, amen.